Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane. I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. What's up, boys? What's up, Willie? Ben? How we doing? Hey, hey. Fellas, we got lots to talk about. Uh, we recorded last Monday, the day before news broke on a PGA Tour merger. We've got U.S. Open this week, uh, so plenty on the table. But before we get into that, Weber, I want to check in with you on your health. I had to pull out because of the concussion in Canada. Tell us about how you're doing. Yeah, I mean, when you get older, you start getting hurt a lot easier. And, uh, yeah, the latest is I think I had a concussion from an inner tubing accident, even though I didn't even really get hurt on the inner tube. I think my my head went pretty hard sideways and might have shook my brain a little. Um, but the CT scans did not show any scary things in there. Um, the radiologist agrees that it's just post-concussion symptoms. So the protocol is a little frustrating. You're supposed to rest. Um, you know, I can do a few things in the gym, but I got to be really careful. But uh, I wasn't in the U.S. Open this week, so I was going to be home anyway. So that's kind of a blessing that I wasn't out in L.A. trying to figure out am I going to play or not. Um I probably would have pushed it to try to play. So it's good to be home. Uh, hopefully I'll be ready to go by next week. Yep. Glad you're doing all right. What what kind of inner tube are we talking? Is it like lazy river concussion or is it like a, what, so how do you do it? It's, I wasn't even going to get in the inner tube, but my daughters were begging me to go. It's one of those where you sit in the inner tube, which I've been told since then, you, those are like the worst for your body. Like getting um, pulled, pulled behind a boat? Yeah, behind a boat. Okay, gotcha. We hit a wave funny. And, um, yeah, right when it happened, I got nervous that my neck was going to be hurt, but it wasn't. So I'm like, oh man, I'm good. So it was, it was a few days later where I, uh, I started feeling weird ahead. Um, yeah. Well, fellas, you were both in Canada. You were both at this player meeting. Um, some of the biggest news I can ever remember on the PGA tour with this potential merger. Um, tell us about what's going on. Both of you guys are or up to speed. And so just kind of, if you can summarize the different moving parts for the listener. Yeah. So we've been obviously going a different direction than the live tour. We know that our rules and regulations say that we should not play in competing events as the um, same weeks as the PGA tour. And if we do, we need to release the live players who chose to go to the live have, um, you know, are suspended from the PGA tour. So Jay Monahan has been very passionate about us separating from the live tour. And um, there all of a sudden we got a historic newsletter that came from Monahan to the players saying we're joining the live tour after a number of players on the PJ tour had turned down um, some of them hundreds of millions of dollars. And the live tour guys are now going to be let back in is what it seems. So, we're starting to get a little clarity on it. I'll let Webb speak to it. He's um, on our board. He's been selected by the players as one of the four PJ Tour representatives, which is an enormous honor. So he's completely up to speed. So I'll let you speak, Weber, on what's going on. Yeah. Um, so at this point, um, we were in litigation, uh, I guess you could say, against the, the people behind the, the Live Tour. Um, and we were kind of well on our way to spending 30 to $40 million a year in litigation. Um, no indication that that was going to slow down in the coming years. And so, um, that's, 
30, 40 million that the PGA tour is spending that we could be using for the players, for charity, for other purposes, other than sitting in a courtroom and, you know, San Francisco. Um, but you know, I think everybody's pretty aware that live tour has not generated the money that they hoped for. They didn't get the TV contract they hoped for. Um, and exactly how Yasir and Jay and Jimmy and Ed began talking about this idea to form a new entity called Nuco. Um, those details are still going to be coming out. Uh, but PJ Tour is a 501c6 nonprofit, and Nuco would be a for profit arm. Um, and there's a lot of interesting and creative ways that Nuco could benefit um, all of professional golf. Um, William, during this process, I have had to stay very neutral, whether I think it's a good thing for the PGA Tour or not, just until all the information's come out. And so kind of being sitting on the couch the last few days, I've been on the phone trying to get as much information as I can. Hey, what does it look like if we don't do this deal and we don't vote it through? Because at the end of the day, this deal won't be put into place unless it's voted through. Okay, and uh, how do the votes work? Because that's a question that a lot of people are asking. Who Who is... Is it you and the other players? Who votes? Yeah, so there's five player board directors. It's me, Patrick Cantlay, Peter Malnati, Charlie Hoffman, and Rory McIlroy. And then there's five independent directors um, who have, you know, some of them have served for a while. Some of them are new. Um, But we will vote. The 10 of us will vote. And it's a majority vote, as I understand it. Um, And we're supposed to vote in late June in Detroit. Now, I don't see how... Isn't Jay the tiebreaker? um, I asked that question this week. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm I'm pretty sure it's five and five. Jay's in the middle, and then Jay's the tiebreaker, if you guys all disagree. Yeah. Well, it it seems impossible to be able to vote on it in just two weeks. There's still... There's so much to still understand and figure out... Um, you know, and then you, you talk about the other side, the emotional side of it. Our commissioner, who I, I love very much. I mean, he's been, I think, a fantastic commissioner. Um, he said one thing for a year, and now he's turned his tune and saying something different. Um, you know, we got to work through a lot of these things because that player meeting in in uh, Toronto was very heated, very much, I mean, 99%, if not 100% of the players felt pretty strongly um, against this. Um, and I don't think that number's getting really any better. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at. You know, we we have to look beyond what does it mean for right now. We got to look at what does it mean for 5, 10, 15 years. But you mix all of these things into the pot. These are the very people who disrupted golf. These are the very people who took our players away. Um, and the other weird thing, last thing I'll say is, um, I don't want to not play in the same field as Bryson and Brooks and Phil Mickelson. Like I, I, you, all of us want to play as one against the best players in the world. Like none of us wished they went to live. We all, you know, you want to win a golf tournament where the best players in the world are there. That's good for us. It's good for the game of golf. It's good for the fans. So what does excite me about the future coming up is the possibility of all of us getting back together at some point. Um, but like Ben said, I mean, there's for sure going to need to be suspensions given uh, penalties for leaving and 
breaking the rules that, you know, they all agreed to when they got their tour card. Any chance that guys who stayed loyal will be rewarded or we don't know anything about that yet? There is a strong chance from what I'm understanding that they would be rewarded. Um, whether it's having a piece of the for-profit company or another way we don't know, but I don't think this deal can go through unless there's some sort of reward or, you know, compensation um, take them for what they said no to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, so based on the players you're talking to web and representing still a lot of kind of disgruntled guys or guys who are trying to figure out how this is going to work or what's the temperature of players one week? Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely the temperature's calming down. I think guys are now, instead of thinking emotionally, they're thinking with their business hat on. Um, and you know, this is a sensitive situation. You know, what we're talking about, um, when, when governments get involved on future relations between Saudi Arabia and the United States, because of this potential merger, you know, it's a serious thing. I mean, this merger could affect the, the relations between the United States and Saudi Arabia. That's a, that's a crazy thing. So I think the implications here are far and wide. And that's why I keep feeling like this rush that there's too big of a rush to vote on this in June. We need a little more time. Yeah. Um, and you know, my hope is when we do decide to do whatever it is we're going to do, that it would unit like the players can stay unified. Um, because if we're unified, uh, golf will, will remain in a healthy spot. Yeah. And that's kind of where Ben and I've talked some off the record is it seems important to have player representation. So it's, yeah. it's good that you guys are learning what's going on so that you can have a seat at the table. That seems right. like the just thing for the players really to have a say for sure. And what's going on. Any final thoughts on that from you, Ben? No, I web said it beautifully. And I think that's interesting. That what I didn't know is that the, the vote is in a few weeks and it's like, I don't know if that's going to happen because we do need to gather a lot for information. And, and then once we gather the information, then the players need time to, sift through it and talk about it and be in unity. Yep. Well, it will be unfolding. I'm sure we'll be talking about it plenty more on this podcast. Um, but it is the U S open week web 11 years ago, you won a U.S. open in California, which is very, very cool. Um, and we're actually about to record a separate podcast after this one, uh, golf life faith podcast, which some guys over at college golf fellowship do. It's an amazing deal where they interview guys and talk about golf life and faith who would have guessed it um so you're going to be talking more about u.s opens on that podcast if you want to hear more but quickly for this podcast give us just your best memory from that week um dowd was 30 uh like 34 weeks pregnant with our second child our first daughter willow and i think I remember uh, Sunday morning, you know, I was, I think, fourth group from the final group. I think I was four shots back maybe. And um, I, I remember telling Dowd, I'm like, Dowd, you know, whatever happens today, like this week's been incredible, you know, because we had James at home. He's about a year and a half. So you're kind of in the in the throes of raising young kids. And, you know, we we had that four or five days to get away, just the two of us. 
kind of reinvest in our marriage. And it was such a sweet week. Like if I finished 40th, it would have been awesome. We'd have been flying home with smiles on our faces. Um, but I just had this, I had this piece Sunday morning, like, man, Lord, this has been a gift already. Like, sure. I, I, I definitely want to win, but, um, you know, it wasn't all wrapped up in my result. And I think probably that was my first time having a chance to win a major. I think probably that brought me a lot of peace during the final round, just because I was in a great frame of mind and having her out there, you know, um, the whole way was great. And, you know, just to share that with her, if I, if I was by myself, that would have been still an awesome day, but to have it shared with her was really sweet. Hey, share really quickly before we jump into the, the picks. Um, you got like a three and a half footer ish, yeah. four footer to win mm-hmm. and your nervous is all get out. And what do yeah. you, what do you, what'd you do to calm your nerves? <laughs> well, I was playing with Nicholas Colsarts and he had probably a similar length putt and uh, maybe a little inside me and I was ready to putt and he goes, Hey, you mean to, you mean to go ahead? And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, no, I want to go. But he was like already there, and I'm like, sure, go ahead. And um, so I, I had that, you know, 15, 20 seconds where I'm really starting to get nervous. And my son had just started walking that week, first steps, you know, first child, first steps to a dad's a big deal. And so I'm imagining him walking, playing with him in our playroom, and I'm just trying to take my mind elsewhere. And so I literally walk in, and I'm standing over the putt, and it was left center putt. I do remember that but I just remember thinking about my boy over that putt. Um, my sports psychologist now would probably say it's not a great thing to do is to, you know, be outside of the moment like that. But the little knowledge I had of sports psychology one-on-one in that moment, that was the best thing I could have done. Yeah. You're just uh, trying to survive. I was trying to survive. Exactly. And, uh, made it. And yeah, that was a good feeling. That's so fun. All right. Well, let's jump into picks, uh, two picks for a major. You can use anybody in the field. Uh, Webb cannot go first because he went first in the first major. Um, okay. Now, so, are live guys available or is that too soon? Like, is this too sensitive? Any, any Anybody's available. <laughs> I'm picking Yas here with my first pick. <laughs> ben, you want to go first or second? Um, I'll, go, I'll go. I'll go first. Who you got? I'll take I'll take Victor Hoblin. Mm. Like it. I know I where you're going. going. I know I'm gonna lose Scotty on the deal, but I'll I'll take Scheffler. Yep. All right. I'll take Rombo. All right. You got four, five, six. So Webb, you go. Snake draft. All right. Uh I'll take my boy Patrick Cantley. And I was gonna go with him. Nice pick. Um, I will go. LA's go, favorite still out there. Gosh, who's LA's favorite? Homa? Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm between, uh, I, I'm going to go Xander Shoffley. He's been okay. quiet on this podcast. He's a California boy. I think West yeah, Coast guy. He is. Who you got, Ben? Man. Um, I'm between. Man, I'm between Kepka and who else? Who, who would be who would be top it sounds, five of them? Huh? Sounds it sounds like Kepka's your guy. I mean, I'm trying not to go with him, but I'm trying to think who else would be an amazing pick. 
William, who are you going to pick? I don't know. I, you know, Morikawa is a California guy, but he doesn't hit it very far, even though he's very accurate. Um, we haven't played great lately. Yeah. I mean, Dustin Johnson or hmm. Cam Smith. Yeah, Cam Smith, but he doesn't hit it, drive it accurately enough. All yeah. Right. I got to go with Kepka. Kepka. Love it. Um, all right. Picks are in. Hopefully, we got some action this week. All right. Well, that was a lot of banner. Um, and now it's time for the Bible segment. So we're in our third week of this new segment where we're asking, why did Jesus die? His entire life, we know, had been moving to the point of his death. And in week one, we saw that he didn't just die, he was killed. And last week, we saw that he wasn't simply killed, he was laying down his life. And today, we peel back another layer of the onion regarding what was really going on that Friday in April. And we're going to see that Jesus wasn't simply laying down his life, he was dying according to plan. Hmm. He was fulfilling scripture. Um, we see this primarily in John 19, 16 through 37. So, Ben, if you'll pray for our time in the Word, and then, Weber, if you'll read John 19, 16 to 37. Got it. Absolutely. Lord God, thanks for your love and your care and your Word mm-hmm. that illuminates um, who you are and what you've done to um, offer us life, mm-hmm. life abundantly. So, Lord, Thank you that um, because of what you've done, you offer this to us. Um, Lord, help us to trust you and believe uh, so we might have life in your name. Thanks for this day. Um, Thanks for this time with my friends in the word. In Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you, Ben. All right, John 19, 16. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which... In Aramaic is called Golgotha. <clears throat> Excuse me. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write, the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus knowing all, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, 
for the for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we dive in, I want to pick up where we kind of started last week by reminding us that one of the ways that scripture writers will emphasize something that's really important is to repeat it. Mm-hmm. So when you look at these verses that Webb just read, what phrase is repeated four different times? Did you pick up on it and think about where we're going today? Um, would it be like something like so that it might be fulfilled? Exactly. Yep. You see it in verse 24. This was to fulfill the scripture. And then you see it again in 28 to fulfill the scripture. And again in 36 and again in 37, again, another scripture says. So John is honing in on like, Hey, this has been the plan for a long time. Exactly. And did you notice how, how little eyewitness detail John gives? Hmm. He, he, He gives some enough, plenty, but he, what he's focusing on as he structures this narrative is this was all to fulfill scripture. Hmm. And, and notice that it's not John, just John who does that. Okay. So do y'all remember Acts chapter two, where uh, the disciples go public for the first time since the death and resurrection of Jesus. Hmm. And yeah. Peter speaks out to all these Jews, many of whom would have been right there at the crucifixion. Mm. And in Acts 2, 22 and 23, listen to what he says. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Mm. So what tension is going on in that, that verse? He's blaming the death of Jesus on these people that he's talking to. Yes. While at the same time saying what? It was was a definite plan of God. Yeah. He says definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Yes. So we saw two weeks ago, he was killed. And Peter says he was. Mm -hmm. And John is showing us he was. But Mm -hmm. they're also telling us this was the plan of God all along. That's right. So you see it in John. You see it in Peter. You also see it in Paul. Mm-hmm. Remember some of our favorite verses. I'm not going to make you flip there because, you know, we'll get those pages rustling. But 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, mm-hmm. that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Mm. So, Twice when Paul's saying the most important news in the world is this gospel, he says it was all according to the scriptures. Right. It was all a plan. Okay. And then last thing before we dive into this passage, it wasn't just John. It wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just Paul. Okay. It was Jesus himself. Mm. And so do y'all remember Luke 24, 
the road to Emmaus when Jesus is walking with these two disciples on on his way uh, or on their way to Emmaus. He's been raised, but his identity is being concealed from them. Mm-hmm. And so he plays kind of dumb and he asks them, hey, what's going on? You know, and they're like, man, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? Mm-hmm. And they tell him about what's happened with him. And listen to what he says to them in Luke 24, 25 to 27. This is the greatest Bible study that's ever been taught. I mean, do you have it in front of you, Ben? I don't, but I, remember. I have it. And it says, he says something like, and he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and everything concerning himself. Hey, totally. Good. Yep. So Web, read uh, verses 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay. So think about this. He takes Moses and the prophets, all the scriptures, okay, all the Old Testament scriptures that were written before he came. Mm-hmm. And he shows them how it all points to him. He interprets to them the things concerning himself. <laughs> and so here's the big E on the eye chart for us today. This was the plan mm-hmm. all along. I want to show you four ways this was the plan. Okay. Yeah. So let's start. This Bible, this Bible, this whole Old Testament, everything. Hey guys, it's all pointing to me, he's saying. That's right. <laughs> Completely. There's no plan. This he didn't he didn't come for plan B. There was only a plan A the whole time. Yes. Okay. And we're about to, we're just about to see it. So, um, and the cool thing is we're only going to scratch the surface today. There's, there's so much more here, which we hope you'll, you'll look further and further into it. All right. John 19, let's start with verse 17. Where do they take him? The place of the skull, which is also known as Golgotha. Yeah. Good. And do either of you guys know how being crucified in a certain place might be a fulfillment of scripture. Being crucified in a certain place. Yeah. All right. Are you starting to go? What do you got? No, I just, I, I know why it's called um, Golgotha and why it's called Skull Hill, but I don't know why um, being crucified in that place. I don't know where you're going. Okay. All right. Um, do y'all remember the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22? Okay. Genesis 22, uh, Abraham's living about 1800 BC. Okay. So about 1800 years before Jesus, almost the same amount of time from Jesus to us as mm-hmm. Jesus to Abraham on the other side. And do y'all remember what happens in Genesis 22 verse one? Mm-hmm. Okay, God, God speaks to Abraham, who he'd given this boy to, who all the promises of God were wrapped up in this family, right? Mm. Take your son, your one and only son, right? Yep, whom you love. Keep going, Ben. Whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which, oh my gosh, of which I shall tell you, this yes. is the mountain. Yes, so there is... A clear instruction that Abraham's to journey for multiple days to go to the land of Moriah and offer his son on a specific mountain. Now, let me show you this. Oh, boy. We got to ask, where's Mount Moriah? Yeah. Second Chronicles 3.1 says this. I'm about to get jacked. 
Okay. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Oh, boom. Okay. So the very mount that they're on in this narrative is Mount Moriah. Now, oh my gosh. Now, if you're in Genesis 22, Ben, read verses six to nine and just show us what happened in that story as they walk up this specific mountain. And, and listen, we're talking about repeated words today. Five different times in Genesis 2 or 22, God tells Abraham to go to a certain place, to that place, go to that place. Okay? Mm. So they get to the place. And when they do, what happens in verses six to nine? And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they were both, so both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Okay. So So if you're listening and you're going like, what what does this mean? This is how many years before, William? About 1,800 years before. 1,800 years, this exact place and he's prefiguring exactly what's going to happen to Jesus Christ yes. with the wood and laid on, on, on the wood and a sacrifice, his one and only son. And he's saying, guess what? I've got a better one and only son coming who actually will be the sacrifice and the atonement for all people who believe in him. Come on, buddy. Hey, this is when the listener needs to put his hand on his, uh, on a steer wheel and honk the horn right now. <laughs> exactly. Let's go. This was God's plan all along. 1800 years before yes. he's doing it. Hey, something's coming. This is Babe Ruth calling his shot from centuries before. Okay. Gracious. And then what's so cool is as Abraham is about to obey God, the angel of the Lord stops him mm-hmm. and he says, now I know that you fear me. And then all of a sudden he looks off and what does he see? Anybody a ram, a ram, a ram, and a ram caught in the thicket. Okay. Now just, we're all, we're, we're going somewhere today. A ram is a male lamb. Mm. That's what it is. Okay. And caught in the thicket by his horns. What do you think that, what's that make you think of? A crown of thorns. A crown of thorns on a substitute that then is offered up instead of the person who is going to die. Good gracious. All this happened on that mountain years before. I mean, holy cow. To fulfill scripture. To fulfill scripture. Yes. This was the plan all along. Okay, but we're just getting started. So we saw where this happens. Now we need to ask when this whole thing. I mean, I feel like after that, I need a break, boys. Like, I got (laughs) to sit in that. You got a concussion, Bob. I know. That's that's a lot of info (laughs) going through my brain in a good way. All right. All right. So hit us with John 1931. I I want us to see when this happened. Okay. John 1931 says, since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Okay, good. So we're told it's a day of preparation. It's the day before the Sabbath. And it's not just any Sabbath. It's that Sabbath. 
And so who can remind us what was going on? What specific feast was going on in Jerusalem at this time? Passover. The Passover feast. Okay. It's one of three major feasts from the Jews every single year. They celebrate it every year. And it would bring up to 2 million Jews from the Roman Empire to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. Now, what are they celebrating at the Passover feast? The final plague um, from Exodus where um, the angel of death was going to come through and strike down the firstborn son. And for believers, they were to take the blood of the lamb and smear it over the doorpost. And that would, that would tell the angel of death to pass over their house so they would not lose their firstborn son. Yes. Well said. Okay. So now we're, we're 1400 BC. We're about 400 and change years after Abraham. All of Israel's enslaved in Egypt and God is about to let his people go. And just like Ben explained, the way that God loosened Pharaoh's grip on these people was he sent plague after plague after plague after plague. And the group would, his grip would kind of loosen, but then he'd tighten it again until this last plague, the plague of the firstborn son, when God says he's going to send the angel of death through Egypt and every firstborn is going to die unless, okay, unless you do this one thing, unless you take this lamb without blemish into your home for a number of days. And then on the night of the Passover, you kill it and then you eat it. And then you put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost. And then the angel of death passes over you Mm. and you don't experience the judgment of God. So that happened 1400 BC, right? Where this lamb is slain in the place of the people and God's judgment passes over them. It was that feast that was happening in Jerusalem on this very weekend. Now, here's what's fascinating. Over and over and over again, when Jesus is talking about his death, he uses this phrase, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Until he gets to this week, and you know what he says in John 12? My hour has come. My hour has come. It's time. His life was on a divine calendar. And it's, John wants us to see this. When John the Baptist sees Jesus for the first time, John chapter 1, verse 29, what's he say? Behold, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, God takes away the sins of the world. And, and what's he saying as it relates to the Passover? This is your Passover lamb. He's the one who will remove stain from all people who believe in him. Yes. And when his blood is over your doorpost, when mm-hmm. his blood is over your life, God's judgment will pass over you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now check this out. This is super sick. In verses 31 to 33 that Webb started reading, um, the soldiers, because they're trying to get these bodies down, they say, hey, let's break these guys' legs so that their suffocation on the cross will happen quicker. Mm-hmm. But when they get to Jesus, they don't break his legs because he's already dead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now John gives us an explanation in verse 36. What's he say in verse 36? For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says not one of his bones will be broken. Okay. Now here's what's super cool. Do you have a little footnote next yeah. to that? Okay. Decided from Exodus 12, 46. Okay. And numbers. That's all I need. Okay. Exodus 12, 46. Anybody know what was going on in Exodus 12, 46? <laughs> this instruction is an instruction about the actual Passover lamb. Oh, when it says man. not one of his bones will be broken. It's saying, Hey, when you, I'm going to give you, God says, I'm going to give you instructions for what to do with this lamb. 
Right. And here's what I care about. Don't let one of his bones be broken. Golly. And so John is subtly showing us Jesus is the truer and better Passover lamb. He oh is offering gosh. the final sacrifice. And he is so identifying with that uh, institution in Israel's mm-hmm. history as the Passover lamb mm-hmm. that he's saying even his bones won't be broken on the cross. Oh my goodness gracious. Okay, so we, we've seen that where this happened was planned. We've seen that when this happens planned. I want to, I just want to show you what was happening. Okay, so yeah. let's pick up in 23 and 24. Y'all mm-hmm. read what these soldiers do. Go ahead, Robert. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Okay. So practically, you know, it's not the wealthiest society. There's some free clothes. The guys are yeah. thinking, man, let's, let's see who gets the gear. Um, but John tells us this was to fulfill scripture and which scripture was this fulfilling Psalm 22 verses 17 and 18. Okay. Psalm 22 verses 17 and 18. Psalm 22 features prominently in every single crucifixion narrative in the gospels. Um, When was Psalm 22 written? Ish. No idea. About a thousand BC. Okay. David's the author. So we've already seen 1800 BC, God's calling a shot. 1400 BC, God's calling a shot. Now 1000 BC, God's calling a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Psalm, in fact, flip there if, if you can, because it's just worth looking at a couple of things. So yeah. it's so cool that verse one, what Jesus says on the cross, his last words. Yeah. Where he says it's finished. Verse one says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we know Jesus is referencing and quoting Psalm 22. Yes. And then, um, yeah. can I read 17, 18? Yeah, do. It reads, actually, read um, 15 and 16 with it, buddy. Okay. So, 15, uh, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evil doers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I count, I can count all my bones and they stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments, garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. <laughs> it's like if it had been written after the crucifixion, you'd be like, that's spot on. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Exactly. And it's a, it's a thousand years before. And here's, here's what's just totally crazy. I just want to hone in on that little part. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Mm. Okay. This was written in a thousand BC. Anybody have any idea when crucifixion came into be a common practice in the Roman empire? I'm guessing after David. (laughs) Much after David, 200 BC. So 800 years, roughly. Exactly. And here God is calling wow. for how his Messiah is going to die. And then Ben, Ben was all over it. In each of the other gospels, the gospel writers record Jesus crying out from the cross. Mm. Psalm 22, verse one, mm. my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. 
Why do you think Jesus was saying that as it relates to our topic today? Because he's separated. He took all of God's wrath and anger towards from our sin and aimed it at Jesus Christ. And he stood between us and the wrath of God and took it. Mm-hmm. And so he's separated from the father. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is cert- certainly true. And it's so important. We're actually going to dive deeper into that next week. But as it relates to today with all these Jewish leaders looking on and all these chief priests, okay. And all these people who had been familiar with their old Testament. One of the things that Jesus is doing here is saying, Hey guys, you remember Psalm 22? It's happening right now. You remember the part about my hands being pierced, about my feet being pierced, about clothing being cast lots for? All of that is happening in front of your eyes. And notice, notice quickly how he ends the psalm. What's, what's verse 30 and 31 say? Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Yeah. What's that he has done it remind you of? He said, it is finished. Dude, it's like the Old Testament version of it is finished. Like God was calling a shot. This is how it's going to happen through right. my son being sacrificed. Right. All right. Um, so we've seen where this happened. We've seen when this happened. We've seen through Psalm 22 what happened. It was all foretold hundreds and even thousands of years before. But there's, there's one more Old Testament passage that we've got to just quickly look at before we close. Uh, John 19 alludes to it, but Jesus himself calls a shot in Luke twenty two thirty seven. So the night before Jesus died, listen to what he said. He said, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Yes. So the night before he dies, what scripture does Jesus apply to himself? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Okay. And when was Isaiah 53 written? 700 years plus before Christ. Exactly. Okay. And friends, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, it's one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible. Mm -hmm. So it's 12 verses. Why don't we just quickly read it? We'll make just a couple of observations and then that'll be our teaser for, um, for next week. So one of you boys read Isaiah 53 for us. Who has believed um, what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way and the lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened his, not opened his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before the shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Okay, we could just spend we could spend weeks on this, but I just want to highlight a couple of quick things. Um, first, in verse three, how's Jesus described? That first phrase: despised and rejected by men. Okay, and it's just playing out right in front of our eyes. Right, it looks like Isaiah's seven hundred year old prophecy is an eyewitness account. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll we'll close with verses four to six. How is Jesus described in verse seven? Oppressed, afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Yep. And like a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What's that remind you of? Just reminds you when he's before Pilate, and Pilate's like, don't you know I have this, the, the power to, to help you live or die? And he's just silent before some, so much of it. Yep. Exactly. Like he's right there just laying down his life, Mm -hmm. right? Like we saw last week. What are we told in verse nine and where does it point? Yeah. He goes into a rich man's grave. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. He's, he's crucified right there with wicked men like this says, and then he's put into the grave of a rich man. Um, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then verse 10, we start to begin to tease where we're headed next week. What was really going on? What's verse 10 tell us? It was the will of the Lord to crush him. The Lord has put him to grief. And so what's what's the idea? Who's behind it all? The Lord. And the Lord is the capital L-O-R-D, all caps, Yahweh. It's, it's God's plan all along to crush Jesus, his son, on our behalf. Yes. And then let's just land the plane and tease next week with verses four to six. Why? Why would God do this? Why was this the plan all along? What was going to be accomplished according to Isaiah 53, four to six? Hmm. He was taking our griefs and our sorrows and our sins and putting them on himself. Yes. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. Mm. With his stripes, we're healed. So we're, we're going to dive into all that next week. But for today, mm-hmm. what do we learn about the cross as it relates to the Old Testament? 
it was in the sight of so many long before Jesus, the, the prophecies to come of a sinless, perfect savior was coming. Um, and to see it fulfilled on this side of the cross is amazing. Um, and I'm just last thing I'll say, and then Ben, you you have the final word. I read Psalm 130 this morning. Verse three says, "If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand?" And just where you left us off, William, right there in Isaiah, like it is so humbling to think, even on our best day, like we we got nothing. We we had to have a rescuer, and man, did he come! Yes. And and Webby, he, he said he was coming for over a thousand years, and he showed it to us over and over again. Right. The Abraham and Isaac, he showed us exactly how it would happen, and then he called it out again in Psalm twenty-two and Isaiah fifty-three. Like all the prophets, all the scriptures are about Jesus and about this gift that he's giving us through laying down his life for mm-hmm. us. So good. And so how would y'all, maybe last question, how would you encourage the listeners in light of this? Um, I would say uh, we would encourage you to think about the offer that Jesus offers you. Um, If you are aware that you have uh, sin in your life um, and that the penalty of sin, uh, God doesn't deal lightly with it. he deals with it in a way that we see today that his son was crucified on the cross for it, for our sin. Um, the offer is free. The offer isn't, um, you know, you clean up your life, you start going to church, and then maybe God will approve you. The offer is free right now. He's saying, trust in me, believe in me, uh, live a life with me. Um, and I think Ben and I and William would just beg you to consider that and start walking with Jesus. Yeah. No one is righteous, not one. So we don't come to Jesus and on behalf of our righteousness, but on behalf of our sin, it's the very thing that qualifies us to, Mm. to receive the saving that he offers. And so we begin to not trust ourselves, but trust the work that Jesus really accomplished on that cross. That's right. And if you see that this was the plan of God all along, here's what you need to know. God wants to forgive you. That's right. He wants to welcome you back. He planned to do it. And so take him up on it. Uh, Well, thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you've got questions about Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on all the social medias under the handle at Bible Caddy. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe or leave us a review. We'll be back next week with our next episode and why did Jesus die? Until then, let's get into the word and let the word get into us. Sweet. Oh, 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 oh.